podcast by the National Institute of Economic and Social Research, NISA. I'm Paola Buonadonna. Since the EU referendum, the Institute has been kept very busy researching the impact of Brexit on various aspects of the UK economy, from growth to trade and productivity. Another powerful way in which Brexit will have an impact on our economy and the provision of services is via changes to the immigration policy for EU citizens. Our latest report for the Cavendish Coalition looked closely at the effect Brexit will have on the health and social care sectors. And I have here two of the authors, Nisa's Associate Research Director, Heather Rolf, and economist David Nien. David, I'll start with you if I may. Can you give us the context for this report? Why is this sector an important one to focus on? We're focusing on the sector because the number of EU nationals that are working in, in, in the sector is really large. For example, around 5% of nurses and 9% of doctors come from inside the European economic area. In addition, around 16% of dentists and around 5% of allied professionals, such as physiotherapists, come from inside the EU as well. Not only are they a sizable component of the workforce, but also that pattern in terms of geography and occupation mm -hmm. is really important if you look at the UK as a whole and has changed rapidly since the 2016 Brexit referendum. Okay, so we're talking about large numbers and that is an important point. Uh, Heather, the report says that while the contribution of EU migrants to the NHS is important, it's arguably even more so for social care. Why is this? The sector has become increasingly reliant on EU migrants. Historically, actually, it has been more reliant on non-EU migrants, but since 2011, the proportion of EU migrants in the social care workforce has incre increased quite dramatically. So they're between 5 and 6%, so roughly the same proportion of EU nurses in the, in the workforce. But they're important, again, because, as David said, they're not evenly distributed across the UK, so some areas are very dependent. So in Northern Ireland, for example, there's been a massive increase in the proportion of EU migrants to the tune of over 200% between 2011 and 2016. And that increase does partly reflect the need um, within um, areas like Northern Ireland, but also the decrease in migrants from outside the EU as UK immigration policy has become more and more restrictive. If I can jump in just on the ge geographical dispersion of EU migrants in the, uh, in the healthcare workforce mm -hmm. in, in the UK, for example, if we think about the UK on average, there's around 9% of all registered doctors that come from the EU. Mm -hmm. However, those are more likely to work in England and Northern Ireland, as Heather was just saying, in social care, as opposed to Scotland and Wales. For example, in London alone, there's around 3,300 doctors from the EU working here. Right. So the, it, a region like London and the surrounding areas uh, is particularly vulnerable to potential shortfalls. That's what we're saying. Yes, that's absolutely right. And if we look at nurses, then on average there's around 5%, as we said before, in England uh, that come from the EU. However, their share is less than 2% in the northeast, while in London their share exceeds around 11%. So we can see that there are large geographical differences in terms of where these migrants are actually located and working. The other thing to keep in mind, obviously, is that around two-thirds of EU nationals are working in clinical roles and one-third works in support roles. Now, a similar share for UK nationals is around 50-50. So this clearly shows you that EU nationals tend to be highly specialised in clinical roles. 
So we are at the moment heavily dependent on these um, EEA workers. What is your report suggesting, David, that might happen after Britain actually does leave the EU based on what you've observed in the period from the referendum up until now? We have looked at the period just before the Brexit referendum and just in the period just afterwards. By comparing these two 12-month periods, we can actually see that the uncertainty created by the referendum itself has already led to a, a net outflow of EU nationals that are working, for example, as nurses or doctors in the UK. Our projections suggest that in the short run there might be an additional shortage of around 2,700 nurses. And over the remaining period of the Brexit transition until 2021, and in the medium term, there might be a shortfall of around five to 10,000 nurses. So this is highly important. This really matters because it might compromise quality of care in terms of waiting times in the NHS trusts. So if we're losing EEA workers, particularly nurses, our statistical analysis has shown that there might be an association between those hospitals that are losing staff from the EEA and those hospitals that have high waiting times. And of course these numbers are in addition to current vacancies. Yes, of course, this will be over and on top of current vacancies. So as part of the research, we carried out focus groups with um, representatives of organisations in the areas of medicine, nursing, dentistry, social care and physiotherapy. And we kind of shed a bit of light on, on what, what was happening. So within the nursing focus group, respondents said that it was more difficult to recruit nurses from the EU and more were leaving. And there were three main reasons for that. Mm -hmm. First of all, a fall in the value of the pound, particularly shortly after the referendum. But then since then, um, there, there's the opportunities within their own countries in some cases had improved, but also the hostile environment um, within the UK and importantly, uncertainty about the future um, were factors which were making it more difficult to recruit nurses. So I think that might be one of the reasons why we saw a fall in the number of, of EU nurses coming in. At the same time, it has become much more difficult for employers to recruit into areas like social care. Before we go into that, one question that a lot of people might want to ask is this. Um, you know, we understand it takes a long time to train a doctor or a nurse, but surely um, jobs in the social care uh, side of things are less skilled and it should be possible to train UK workers quickly. So why are we so worried about a shortfall caused by diminishing numbers of, of EU workers? So a few weeks ago, the Migration Advisory Committee came up with its recommendations for post-Brexit immigration policy, and it specifically decided not to, improve, not to include social care as a sector that would have any special treatment. And the reason for that is that they said that the funding model needed to be sorted out, therefore the sector would then be able to offer higher wages and be able to attract British workers. I think there's two problems with that. First of all, that is not going to happen overnight, that the funding model is going to change, that the government's going to put a lot more money the way of, in the way of local authorities who will then pass that on. Secondly, it really is not just a simple matter of increasing wages within the social care sector. There's all sorts of other factors that make the work deeply unattractive to British workers, including young people. The main one of which is the lack of career progression and training within the sector uh, that, that does need to be addressed if it's going to attract 
enough British workers to replace the migrants who have increased in the sector in the last 10 years or so. And migrants tend to be more flexible. They have perhaps mind the, the flexibility in the working hours, etc. less, so they're prepared to make more sacrifices in the short term. Exactly. So there's a number of reasons why the sector is less unattractive to migrant workers, and flexibility is one of them. They're prepared to work longer hours um, at times um, when British workers might, might not want to. It's also known that some migrants who work in the sector are actually overqualified for social care work. So they may have come from countries where they worked as, as nurses and in allied health professions, sometimes as psychologists. So they're working in the social care sector on a temporary basis, really to get used to working in the UK, to find out what their opportunities are, sometimes to get their qualifications converted into UK equivalents. And um, so, the, so that's, that's another reason why you might find um, that EU workers, non-EU workers are attracted to work in social care in a way that British workers would not. Because British workers would just see this is, this is a job that doesn't really have any prospects for me. I'm not going to get out of it, which is, which is why actually one of the recommendations from the report is that career pathways are opened up between social care and nursing and allied health professions so that people entering what are quite low-skilled, um, low-paid jobs in the social care sector have some kind of prospects of progressing through skills development. And talking about policy solutions discussed in the report, um, David, what, what other things should the government or the NHS do to prepare adequately for this Brexit shock to their personnel numbers? There's many things the government could do. For example, we could rethink and look again at workforce planning. We could look at expanding medical school training places. And we need to think about the bursary for nursing students. When that was scrapped, we could see that immediately the number of students applying to nursing degrees has actually dropped quite significantly. The bottom line is, however, that none of this will happen overnight. So we need to be realistic about the time horizon it takes to train more staff domestically. So David, you're absolutely right. All of those changes won't happen overnight. But what the healthcare sector has on its side is that jobs like nursing and in medicine are, are very attractive to, to young people. They don't have difficulty um, getting young people to uh, sign up for degrees. What they do have is a big, big problem with turnover and they have a lot of nurses and doctors working uh, for agencies rather than staying in the NHS. So there's more of a retention problem, in fact, than a, a recruitment problem. It's very different in social care, where jobs are very unattractive to British young people and are therefore much more of a change actually needs to be made in the nature of the work um, in order to reduce the sector's dependence on migration. And so in terms of social care, what kind of new immigration policies might work for the sector, do you think? So I've mentioned the Migration Advisory Committee ruling out social care, um, but they've in, fact, they've in fact made very little provision for lower skilled jobs in general. But what the health and social care sector needs um, is provision for lower skilled as well as, well as higher skilled migration. They need to make it easy for employers to recruit where there are recognised shortages, and obviously not when they can recruit from the local workforce, but health and social care employers be, would be quite willing to show that they were not able to recruit locally and to demonstrate a need for recruiting a migrant worker. It has to be low on bureaucracy and low on cost because ultimately the costs of any new immigration system to an employer is going to be passed on to the system and ultimately the public will lose out. 
Well, thank you, Heather. Thank you, David. This is all we've got time for. You can read the full report and related blogs on our website on www.nisa.ac.uk. <laughs>